Good evening and welcome to the Joshua Jenkins program. Thanks for tuning in. I want to talk to you tonight about a passage in 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15, John, he says this, he says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and whenever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Um, these are some remarkable couple of verses here in 1 John 5. Really what John's getting at, the verse previous to this, he basically talks about how he's written his letter so that we might know that we have eternal life. So, in other words, he's talking about assurance of salvation. And he immediately goes from talking about assurance of salvation to confidence in prayer or assurance in prayer. And really, there's the connection there. What he's saying is that confidence or assurance of eternal life, you know, knowing that we have Jesus Christ as our Savior, uh, that leads to confidence or assurance in prayer. Prayer ought to be a very confident affair for God's people. You know, prayer is not, oftentimes, I think we often think of prayer as um, some kind of mysterious thing that we do. We go, we pray and ask God certain things and we there's a lot of uncertainty involved we don't know if if it's going to be answered we don't know how God's going to respond to it or if he hears us or if he receives our prayers or or what it's just a lot of times to us it might seem like a shot in the dark or just a kind of a hoping that if you pray enough times one of them will stick type of thing but that's not at all the biblical picture, especially that John paints here, of prayer. In fact, he talks about prayer that we ought to go into prayer having confidence toward God. So much so that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and whenever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And so... That's the big point here that I want to uh, bring up is that John is saying here, we ought to have confidence and assurance in prayer. So now what I want to talk about is I want to ask the question, how can we have assurance in prayer? How can we have assurance in prayer? Because it's one thing to say, you ought to have assurance in prayer. You need to be more confident in your prayers. Uh... So, you know, it's not so easy sometimes to approach prayer in that way. And so I want to ask that question and answer it here as much from the text as I can. How can we have assurance in prayer? Well, I think number one that we see here in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, and include verse 13 in that, is that we can have assurance in prayer first by having assurance of eternal life. If you have a lot of doubt and uncertainty in your life about where you stand with God and what's going to happen when you die, you're not sure if you're saved and so on and so forth, uh, then you're you're not going to have confidence in prayer. It's just not going to happen. But you see, confidence in prayer comes from having a confidence of your standing before God in Jesus Christ. And so if you struggle with prayer and, and having confidence in it, 
look at your life. Do you have assurance of salvation? Um, if you don't, that's the more root issue that needs to be dealt with. You need to you need to deal with your soul first and foremost, and uh, see where it is that you stand with God. Are you in Christ and just struggling, or do you not really know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? So that's the first underlying issue. That's the first way we can have assurance in prayers by uh, by it coming from our assurance of salvation. But the second way that we can have assurance in prayer is by praying according to God's will. By praying according to God's will. Do you notice what John says there? He says that if we ask anything, he doesn't stop there. See, a lot of people read these verses and they stop there. But he doesn't. He says if we ask anything according, according to what? According to his will. He hears us. So, if you want to have confidence in your prayer, uh, what you must do is pray according to and ask things according to God's will. Now, what is God's will by which we pray? What what does John mean? Uh, He's not referring here to God's, uh, I guess, secretive will uh, when we talk about when we, when we refer to God's plan for our life that we don't know about uh, that's not what John is referring to we don't have to try and figure out what our life plan is and then pray according to it but rather the idea that John is getting at is that we pray according to God's will by praying according to his revealed will his revealed will in other words his revealed will is that which he specifically lays out for us in the scripture his will for our lives in scripture and the fact that he wills us to be obedient and he's laid out in our lives how we ought to live he's laid out in the scriptures how we ought to live our lives that is his reveal revealed will uh, for our lives how we it's what we see the scriptures tell us how to live and so uh, that's what we are to pray according to. Uh, you have many teachings, whatever the Bible says about uh, how we ought to pray. You have many teachings from Jesus himself, the Lord's Prayer, other various occasions. We have great teachings from Paul on prayer. And so we, we look at those things and what does the Bible t- tell, how does the Bible tell us to pray? And then we pray accordingly. We also can do so by praying according to the promises that God has given us, the promises that we have in Jesus Christ. And so we can uh, we we see God's instructions for prayer in the Bible, and then we see His promises that He's granted to us, and so we pray accordingly. Okay. So that is the way that we can have confidence in our prayer by praying according to God's will you see the problem is that so often it is the case that when we come before God in prayer we're not praying according to God's will so often when we come to God in prayer all the requests we ask we ask of God it's so often us just 
taking to God our life plan, taking to God the things that we want and desire in our flesh and our uh, worldly thinking. And we uh, pray not according to God's will, but according to our own will. Okay? Oftentimes we have these problems or these difficulties in our life and so we think up some solution we think up what we want to happen and then we bring that to God and we say God this is my plan this is my solution this is what I want to happen would you please accomplish my will (laughs) that's essentially what so many of our prayers are and I'm just as guilty of that as the next man but you see if that is the only if that's how we're praying we're saying, God, here's my solution. Here's what I want to see happen from this situation. Would you please allow this to happen? We're not, we're not praying according to God's will. We're praying according to our will. And so if that's how we pray, then we ought not to have confidence in prayer. We ought not to know that he is going to answer and give us that very thing we've asked. Because we have not asked according to his will. Now this, of course, is not to say that we're not to uh, we're to withhold things from God in prayer because they're because we deem them to be you know according to our flesh or our will. The Bible tells us in First Peter that we're to cast all of our cares upon Him, cast all of our anxieties upon Him, because He cares for us. So it doesn't mean that we withhold anything. I, I believe what what Spurgeon once said. Spurgeon once said that we should turn every care into a prayer. I believe that very much. But that doesn't mean that we go to God with everything that we want and all of our solutions to all of our cares and all of our anxieties and say, God, would you please make this specific thing happen that I want to see happen. But instead, casting all of our cares and anxieties upon God it means that we go to God and we say, God, oh, this thing in my life, it's whatever this difficulty is, whatever the struggle is, whatever the trial or thing you're facing, you take it to God and you say, God, I, I, this is what I'm going through, this is what I'm dealing with, this is how I'm feeling. I don't know what you are doing in this. I don't understand what your purpose or your will in this is. But God, would you, uh, would you take my cares from me? We, we cast our cares upon him and we leave them to him. We say, God, I don't know what's best for me. I don't know what you would have. For me in this situation, but God, I want to trust it to you. I want to give my cares to you and let go of my will, let go of what I want to see come of my life, and uh, trust and depend upon you and your will for this situation. That is what casting our cares upon God looks like. Not saying, God, here's this issue in my life, would you please make this happen from that situation? That's not praying according to God's so will, it's praying according to our will. So we cast all of our cares upon God, but we do so submitted and resigned to His will for us. And indeed, it's a good thing that that is how prayer works. And that's, it's a good thing that's how we can have confidence in prayer. Because can you imagine if we were to pray according, if God had just allowed us to pray according to whatever our own flesh or our own wisdom wanted, and if He gave us those things that we asked, can you imagine how bad that would actually be? Because we don't know what is best for us. We don't know what is what we ought to have, what's for our ultimate good, as God knows. 
You see, sometimes it is that the trial, the difficulty, the pain, the sharp sword and piercing wounds that we receive, sometimes the most painful and awful things we go through in life are the best things for us. And you see, we would never bring those things upon ourselves because we don't know what's best for us. You see, our prayers are often, God, here I'm going through this painful thing. God, would you please take this painful thing away? But here's the thing. What if God's perfect will for you is to go through that painful thing in order to conform us more and more to the image of His Son? We see, if God then granted our every wish and took it away, then we would not be conformed to the image of His Son. We would not have His will accomplished in our lives. You see, God's will for us is better uh, than our will for ourselves. His wisdom is higher and better than our wisdom. And so we say, God, I don't know. I don't have the answers to this situation. God, so I'm not going to offer you solutions. You know the answers. You know what's best. Lord, your will be done. Now, I'm sure some of you have heard people talking about those certain preachers. Some people good meaning with it. Others not so much. But you often hear people say, They'll ridicule those who add on, uh, Lord willing, to any of their prayers. They'll say, Lord, would you please heal so-and-so if it be your will? You know, Lord willing, would you please do this if, if you will it to be? People will often attack those kinds of prayers. Uh, you may or may not have heard people do this. And they'll say, that kind of prayer is a faithless prayer. You don't have much faith. If you have to ask, Lord, Lord willing, that's a cop-out. It's showing you don't have enough faith to believe God can do it. And to that, I absolutely reject that. I say, if you teach that, if that's what you're saying about those who pray according to the will of God, then you are accusing Jesus of sin. And that is blasphemous territory. Because Jesus Christ, when he was in the greatest moment of distress in his life, in the garden before he was arrested to be taken and crucified, to be Uh, thrust under the wrath of God for the sins of his people. In that moment, in the garden, Jesus prayed, Lord, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but thy will be done. That is how Jesus prayed the moments before he went to the cross to atone for our sins. And so if we're going to ridicule and say that that's a cop-out prayer or a prayer that lacks faith, then do we even know who our Savior is? Have we ever seen His prayers? That is how Jesus Christ prayed. According to the will of God, in the greatest moment of pain in His life, He wanted to pass, but He said, Lord, but not my will, yours be done. Thy will be done. And you see, that is how God often works. The most painful moments of our life are often the most important. And we can't skip them. We can't go around them. So we pray, Lord, this is difficult. It's hard. I don't want to go through it. 
But Lord, your will be done. You know what you're doing, God. I don't. And so to the contrary to those critics, who those say you can't qualify your prayers with Lord willing or you don't have enough faith, to the contrary, I would say you don't have enough faith if you're not praying Lord willing. Because let's be honest, if we're honest here, to be able to truly say and mean in your prayers, God, your will be done. To truly say that and mean it and pray that is a very scary thing because God just might do it. And to be honest, if we're honest, uh, resigning ourselves, letting go of our plans and our vision for our life and saying, God, this is kind of what I put together here, but your will be done. You take my life, you take my plans, you wreck them and you change them and shape them into however you want them to be. That is a great, magnificent display of faith and a prayer of faith that is far and above anyone who refuses to say, Thy will be done. So we see John saying here that if we pray according to the will of God, then whatever it is that we ask, if we've asked it according to God's will, not only does God hear us, but His hearing us is explained as having already given it to us. When we pray according to the will of God, what we've asked for, what God hears us ask for, is as good as us already having it. That's the type of confidence we ought to have. It's interesting, this isn't just uh, 1 John here, this isn't just the Apostle John talking, but we actually see in the Gospel of John, Jesus saying very similar things. We can see very much where the Apostle John got his understanding of and theology of prayer from, from our Lord Jesus Christ himself. In fact, I want to look at a couple of verses just to show you here how so similar John's wording is in his epistle to the very words of Jesus Christ. In, in, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, Jesus says this, Whatever you ask me, or whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. That's unbelievable. Then over in John 15, verse 16, Jesus again says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then again over in John 16, verse 23 and 24, Jesus again says this, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Now we read those claims, those those promises that Jesus has given us, and we say, wow, what audacious claims those might seem to be to us. How can that be that anything we ask in Jesus' name, according to the will of God, we will receive. How can that be? What, what a crazy idea that is. So we often understand these 
we just think, wow, how, how audacious of a claim this is. And as such an audacious claim, we know that these great and wonderful promises that we have have been used and abused by many, many name it and claim it preachers. What a great evil that is. We know how they've twisted them and, you know, whatever you ask for and they talk about worldly things. You have to claim it in Jesus' name and it's yours. That health, that Lamborghini, that new mansion, whatever it is, that jet plane, name it and claim it. If you're not getting it, it's because you don't have faith. And that's a great, great, great wickedness that is just a terrible, terrible poison that goes around. Um, And unfortunately, because of that, because of those abuses and those lies and the twisting of Scripture, I think we can all agree here, um, because the teachings have been so abused and those of us who don't fall into those traps, we tend to just shy away from these passages. We don't really spend much time talking or thinking about them because we know how much they've been abused, but we ought not to do so. These are great and wondrous promises that belong to the Reformed Christian. These promises belong to the Reformed Christian worldview, not the Word of Faith teachers. These are not Word of Faith verses. These are Reformed verses. Of course, these great promises belong to every true child of God, whether you are confessingly reformed or not. I just want to emphasize the point there that these verses are not incompatible with reformed doctrine. They're not part of the word of faith uh, teachings. No, but they belong to reformed Christians. You see, the confidence that comes from knowing that you have eternal life, which is critical to Reformed teaching and can really only be absolutely sure of from Reformed teaching, that confidence that comes from that is the confidence, John says in 1 John 5, that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. That's how Calvinists ought to pray, according to His will. Word of faith, people don't pray that way. And if we know that he hears us, and whenever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. You see, in all reality, Reformed Christians ought to be the most assured in their prayers. Calvinists ought to be the most confident prayers. Knowing that they pray for God's will to be done, and knowing that it will be done. Thank you guys for listening to this. We're going to take a quick break, and I'm going to be actually coming back on here after the break with uh, a little bit different uh, change of topic for you. So uh, stick around for that. So I wanted to do a few minutes here on the Chiefs game. Chiefs game, AFC Championship game against the Patriots last night. It's Monday, the day after, as I record this here. What a season it was for Kansas City with Pat Mahomes, first year's starter, records broken, records set, probably the MVP. 
Then we get to the AFC Championship game. First time we've ever hosted it in Arrowhead. Best season in 25 years. And, you know, going into the game, uh, it was a really long week as a Chiefs fan. Never been in this position in my life as a Chiefs fan. It was a really long week. I remember... um, Right after the Patriots won their game the week before in uh, against the Chargers, I remember Tom Brady giving his post-game interview, and I just saw a little clip of it, I think, going around on Twitter. Actually, before I mention that, let me say before that, before I saw this Tom Brady clip, once the Chiefs won on Saturday against the Colts, heading into then knowing we're going to play in the AFC Championship game against either the Chargers or the Patriots, I was thinking in my mind, you know, if we play the Patriots, you know, I feel pretty good about it because we had played them earlier in the season. I think it was week five, somewhere around there, and it was an absolute shootout. I I don't remember the exact score. I think it was like 45-42 Something like that. High scoring, really close game. Could have gone either way in Foxborough. And Patriots won. But I remember after we lost that game back in week five or whatever it was, I felt really good about it. I've never felt so good about losing a game in my life. And there was a couple of reasons. One, we played really, really well. And it was really one of the first big-time tests of the Patrick Mahomes era in Kansas City. And... Even though we lost, we played great, coulda, shoulda, woulda won. Of course, now we've seen this whole Chiefs season and our Achilles heel was really the defense, which was historically awful the entire year long. But I I felt good after that game because I thought to myself, you know, we are right there with them. We belonged with the Patriots. And, you know, I'd rather lose a week five game than than lose the AFC Championship game. That was what I was telling people at the time. You know, I'd rather lose week five than lose in the AFC Championship game. Because, you know, so often it feels like once you get uh, that win early season against a good team, it's a good pump-up win early on in the season. You know, oftentimes if you come around and play that team later on or in the playoffs and it's a close game that could have gone either way. You feel like the other team then is going to win in that next game. And that does happen sometimes. I don't know the stats on that, but it's just kind of a feeling, kind of a psychological edge maybe. I remember feeling good going into this game, this uh, the AFC Championship game, because, you know, hey, we lost the Pats week five. I feel good about our chances here in the playoffs. And even if it was going to be the Chargers, a similar feeling – you know, I was a little bit more nervous because Phil Rivers has just, you know, we've beat him a few times in Kansas City, but he's really, he's been a pain for us, you know, and he's, he's got us several times, and, you know, the Chargers beat us the last time we played them on the Thursday night, I think it was, later in uh, one of the last few weeks of the season. So, originally, I was feeling great going into the week, into the championship game, AFC Championship game. Chiefs looked really good against the uh, Colts. But then you have the Patriots pretty much handedly beating the Chargers there in their playoff game. 
on Sunday, last Sunday, and after the game, like I said, I saw this clip going around of Tom Brady in his post-game interview, and I can't remember the interview, but they asked him pretty much, you know, hey, what do you think about the game coming up against the Chiefs in Arrowhead next week for the AFC Championship? And there had kind of been a little bit of a narrative going around that, hey, yeah, the Pats are here again, but they're old. They, they're not as explosive. They don't have the weapons. They're not the great Pats teams that we've seen in the past. Tom Brady's 41. Eventually, Father Time's going to show itself. You know, he hadn't been quite as great, certainly during the regular season as he's been. But, of course, these playoff games, he was magnificent. And so, she, the, I think it was uh, whoever it was asking Brady that question... Brady said something, I'm definitely paraphrasing here, but he was like, you know, everyone thinks we suck. I know we suck now. No one thinks we can win. You know, the Chiefs are a good football team, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. And, you know, he said it with such an attitude and such a chip on his shoulder kind of way. And, you know, I've always been um, a Brady supporter not definitely. I've I've been a Chiefs fan my whole life. Not saying I've ever been a Patriots fan, but I've always had a lot of respect for Tom Brady. I've always thought, you know, that he was the greatest of all time. I've always defended him in the goat conversations, and it really drives me batty when people try to dispute that, especially now. And always made me upset, you know, when people say, "Oh, they're just cheaters," and it's just like I thought that was a stupid thing to say. And so, having that as my background, I know how dangerous and how good a mad Tom Brady can be. A Tom Brady with a chip on his shoulder. I, I, And so, when I saw him giving that interview and that response to that question, I just got a little bit nervous. I said, oh no. Oh no, I don't like mad Tom Brady. I don't like motivated Tom Brady. So that really made me pretty much nervous all week. Still very confident, you know, it's a new era. We got Pat. Things are different now. We're not these same old Chiefs. So I I was kind of a mixed bowl of emotions all week long, confident and nervous, depending on what moment you ask me. Get to the game on Sunday, game time. Obviously, Patriots came out with a great hot start. Chiefs were absolutely slow start. Defense looked absolutely terrible the entire game, except for a few big plays. And uh, going into halftime scoreless, didn't know what to think. Didn't, didn't know what to think. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, I actually felt not too nervous at that point in time because, you know, there's kind of that thing where you have a good start then oftentimes you can have a bad second half or if you have a bad second half then a team can come out in the or if they have a bad start they can come back out in the second half and they're awesome and win the game so you know I had those thoughts in my head hey we had a bad first half so that means we're going to have a great second half and we did Chiefs had a great offensive second half but the defense was absolutely terrible and the pads didn't let up offensively they hung in there got the scores when they needed them and you know the one thought I had kind of the especially there in that 
third and fourth quarter when we were making our comeback, took the lead a couple times. Pat Mahomes just kept getting hit, sacked over and over again. I know he took a couple bad sacks where he should have got rid of it earlier or not gone as far back in the first half. But they're in the se- but they're in the second half. I mean, it's like every play he's being chased out of the pocket. Every play he's getting hit, and a lot of that, of course, you credit to the Patriots' rush. But we've got a block, man. That's a ke- I kept thinking that in the third quarter. That we've got a block. We got to protect Pat. He can't just be running for his life, getting hit and put on the ground every single drop back. So I was very upset about that. That was the only thing offensively. I mean, played great second half offensively. Pat had some miraculous that miraculous sidearm with the blitzer coming right at him, zinging it in there, a couple big deep throws, big plays. You know, defense had a couple big stops. Of course, they had that pick in the first half there on the goal line. That was huge. But, of course, the one big play that I think is going to haunt Chiefs fans, that's going to haunt D Ford for at least a couple days, we had the game won. We had the game won. I think there was like a minute 34 left. Patriots are driving. We're up four, I think it was. We get Tom Brady drops back to, drops back to pass, throws right side, balls deflected, picked off by... by uh, Dan Sorensen, I think it was. Then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm going crazy. I'm thinking in my head, we just won this game. We're going to the Super Bowl. Then all of a sudden, I realize there's a flag on the field. Turns out, D Ford lined up offside. Play comes back. Patriots then, then comes back and end up, end up scoring on that drive. There's an awful rough in the passer call. I think it was on Chris Jones. He... Oh, it was the most ridiculous call ever. Chris Jones just slapped Brady's shoulder pad, and they they threw a rushing the uh, roughing the passer flag. I mean, that was just awful. Uh, but again, those last couple drives where the Pats had to score, there was like three or four, like third and nine, third and tens, and we just all we did was just to stop them. We we couldn't do it. They they made the path, got the first down. And uh, it was just awful. The defense was terrible. And, you know, you couldn't help but feel after that game, you know, the Patriots dried down in overtime. You know, Bucker, at the end of regulation, we get, you know, we have got like 39, 34 seconds or whatever it was. Pat comes down, gets us a field goal range. Bucker puts it in. Tie game. We're going to overtime. Patriots get the coin toss. They go down. They uh, just immediately, just a long drive, eating our hearts out, punched it in for the touchdown, game over. That's it. No chance for Pat to get the ball and score. And, uh, you know, you couldn't help, at least I couldn't help as a Chiefs fan after that, just to feel so depressed, so depressed, not the right word, so much despair, like, oh, no. Because on the one hand, you can't help but feel there's no guarantee that we're ever going to get back here again. There's no there's no guarantee that we're going to ever have this home AFC Championship game again with a great coulda, shoulda, woulda won the game against Tom Brady and the Patriots. And uh, 
definitely had a few moments there of great despair after the game, but got a couple text messages, texting, group message with my dad and brother, text about the Chiefs game. My dad sends us a couple of long texts from a great friend of his who uh, sent them some great encouragement. So I'm going to take a break. I'll be right back. I'm going to read those messages with you. So for the Chiefs fans, coming up after the break here, uh, reasons why we absolutely should have hope and not despair after this game when we get back right after this. All right, I'm back here with the encouraging hope here that I promised you, Chiefs fans. So, yeah, like I was saying, got this message from my dad, from my dad's friend, who encouraged him this way. Not a Chiefs fan, mind you. Not a Chiefs fan. At least uh, that I'm aware of. But here's here's the text message that, that I got, and this is what it says. Look, man. This is Brady's swan song. Mahomes is a once-in-a-lifetime player, and the Chiefs are going to lock him down for the franchise long-term. This, for you, is like the year before the Cowboys started rattling them off in the 90s. Take time to grieve, but don't lose hope. The Chiefs are the team of the future. Man, I remember when Cowboys fans were pissed at Aikman because he didn't win in his first year as a starter. He did in his second year, though, and the rest is history. It's the same thing with Mahomes. The NFL is tough. You have to get your bearings. He is light years ahead of anyone we've seen since Manning. Take heart. The future runs through Arrowhead. Text message number two. He continues, I'm serious. Dallas fans were ready to trade Aikman away after season one. Trust me. Let Patrick lick his wounds tonight or someone else liked them for him, and then let him watch Brady in the Super Bowl and just start getting pissed. The NFL won't know what hit them next year. And I'll just close with this. I know you're down, and I get that. But just remember, this is the best season they've had in 25 years. 25 years. They played the AFC Championship in Arrowhead with a first-year starter. Take comfort, my friend. So there you go. Really good take. I like it knowing the football history, knowing how it goes in the NFL. You know, I think that's one of the things we got to realize as Chiefs fans is that no one is immune to the rule that you have, you just have to take your lumps. You have to, uh, you know, go through a little bit of adversity before you can rise up and be a champion. You know, Pat Mahomes, I mean, the year we had wasn't even, I mean, he just dominated. He dominated. You know, he had, of course, his rookie season. He sat out, you know, watching and learning from Alex Smith in his final year until, of course, week 17 when Pat had an awesome game against the Broncos. I think it was the Broncos. Maybe it was the Raiders. I, I can't remember now. And then just an absolutely phenomenal first year as a starter. And then, yeah, tough, tough loss against the Pats in the playoffs, AFC Championship game. But you got to go through that. you got to go through that to be the champion. 
I know we all wanted it now because it's been so long. We just can't bear to wait another year. And I feel that. But you know what? You cannot microwave a champion. Champions are not made from instant rice box. You go to the store, you get the instant rice, put in the microwave, it's done in a minute. That's not how champions, that's not how Super Bowl MVPs are made. They got to learn. They got to go through the rough learning edges. That's, you know, that's what this is for Mahomes. That's what it is for us as Chiefs fans. I know it's been 25 years in the making for us as Chiefs fans, but not for Mahomes. It's just his second year. He's got to go through it. We had to do it. Andy Reid's ready. He's ready to win. Some of those other players have been around a little bit. Justin Houston, ready to win. I think we're all ready to win now. We, we had to go through it. We got to go through another season playing after a loss like that. So, anyway, take hope, Chiefs fans. Don't despair totally. And remember those things. Remember Aikman and the Broncos. Remember the NFL history. Aikman and the Cowboys, excuse me. One, fi- one more final thing I'll say here. I mentioned earlier, you know, I have been one to always defend Brady as being the greatest. And undeniably, we saw again last night why that is true. No question about it. But I will say this. I now know what it's like to really hate Tom Brady. I've always liked him. I've always stood up for him. I never understood why people could hate him. You know, I never I never stood that. He was so great and so fun to watch. How could you hate somebody that's so good? And I think the reason I felt that way was because, you know, the Chiefs were never relevant in any of Brady's playoff runs. So he never did it to my team. Now he has. And now I know what it's like. And now, you know what? I don't really like Brady so much. I'm kind of mad at him. I'm kind of mad. We'll be back. We'll be back, though. Love you, Matt. Love you. Love you, Pat. Go Chiefs.